Welcome to the New Zealand International Film Festival podcast series. Today's Q&A follows the New Zealand premiere screening of Vivarium. Director Lorcan Finnegan is in conversation with Ant Timpson. Ladies and gentlemen, Lorcan Finnegan. Thanks for sticking around. I feel like the um, yeah the base is taking over the cinema. Um, <laughs> let's get uh, straight to Brass Tacks. Um, fantastic film. Loved it when I first saw it. Saw it again um, a while ago, and I just was thinking like, um, was there ever before you even the start of the script? Yeah. Started working on the on the whole film. Did you have like was there one sort of moment, one visual image that you had in your mind? that kind of you wanted to see in the film and it did it play out the way that you wanted it to? That sort of started the whole... Yeah, there was a painting by Magritte called Empire of Light, which was referenced in the script and it was kind of early um, influence on what we were going to do uh, visually. Um, and then also this like housing development that's in like a rural part of Ireland in um in Leitrim I went to <coughs> look at it and the houses just look so kind of fake and weird um so and th th there was a photographer called Valerie Annex that uh, photographed a lot of these kind of uh, ghost estates and I'd made a short set in a ghost estate before that so um they were the kind of t two things and is the short um is are the themes of the short similar to Vivarium or not e kind of it different but similar at Bavarium kind of explores it in a in a more existential way um, about society and, and the way <coughs> we're kind of going and living. And the short was more of a supernatural a way of escaping from the suburbs, um, like a transformative thing, turning into a creature to be able to leave somewhere that's very unnatural. Kind of thing. Gotcha. So let's just rewind a little bit. Uh, so. Lorcan, um, I saw his other film, Without Name, which is an incredible film. You should check it out. It's a very, I, I guess it's a psychological eco-horror. <laughs> yeah, I call it a yeah. psychotropic fairy story. There you go. <laughs> um, it's a better description. Um, <laughs> so do you want to give people just a little bit about your background? Because that was my first exposure to you. But you've actually, you've got a history of shorts and commercials. Yeah, and I started out doing, uh, I studied graphic design. And then I started, I got into like motion graphics. Um, and then animation, started making some animated shorts, um, and then made the first film. Actually, I, I had my very first job, weirdly enough, because people reference Black Mirror with this film, was uh, working for Charlie Brooker's company, doing comedy sketches. Um, Writing? Or uh, well, I was, I was supposed to be making them tea, <laughs> and then I started... Uh, then uh, I started editing them for them because I was able to use editing software. And then uh, I was doing the graphics, like the stuff that came up at the front. And then I started shooting them. And then I was like acting <laughs> in them and writing in them and all that kind of stuff. And then I started doing animated shorts. And then I made like uh, my first uh, live action uh, short was in 2010, Foxes. And then Without Name was. So when you worked for Brooker, what was the series that. that Oh yeah, Nathan Barley. So Nathan Barley, who knows Nathan Barley? Great, yeah, fantastic series. Um, I, I played a lamp. You played a <laughs> at a party. A lamb dressed as a lamp. lamp. A I lamp. I had a lampshade <laughs> on my head. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so, but um, the comedy, like in Without Name, there's not a lot of humour. Um, no. It's, it's there, but in in Vivarium, there's a lot. Like, so was 
did you? Yeah, I mean, I do commercials as well, and the commercials I do are all comedy, uh, right. because if you're gonna do commercials, it might as well be funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, not all of them, but yeah. yeah. So well, as in, you know, it's a painful process. So. Okay, so we we, we talked about the the background. So in terms of um, uh, what did you? I mean, the idea of Vivarium. Yeah. Like, what did you want? Because I know that in terms of without name, there's a lot of subtext. Yeah. To that film as well, like um. When people describe, and I described it as well, it's like a Black Mirror episode from Howl. But it, in terms of like what you wanted to express, what were the main sort of underlying themes? themes. Th- apart from the obvious ones that are... Yeah, kind of the atomization of society, uh, people living in... You know, it's kind of taking life, the absurdity of the way we live our life, and then amplifying it up uh, like 500% to show how fucking weird it is. Um, it's kind of basically, th- it was almost the premise of the mortgage. I made a short film years and years ago called Defaced, which was uh, was kind of a tagline. It was like, get a life, get a mortgage. And uh, I always just thought mortgages are so weird. And there's like, in, in Ireland, people are like obsessed with owning houses and property. And um, there's still a housing crisis going on. The day we premiered the film at Cannes, there was a march, uh, like a massive protest march in Dublin about the housing crisis. The inability to buy yeah, first yeah, and then people buy these houses and they get trapped in these places that they didn't really want to live in in the first place, and they spend their entire lives trying to pay off the house, and then they die, and that's great <laughs> crack. <laughs> <laughs> uh, super ambitious film, and y- and not a b- massive, massive budget. So no. very comp- complex. I- originally mm. in the script, I mean, how much changed from the f- like the not the first draft, but did it change? Was it was it a Bigger vision, what happened? Yeah, it started out really big, <laughs> as these things do. Um, a bit, yeah, like w- I needed way more money. But um, we had to keep changing it and chipping. Like even uh, like a week before shooting, we lost uh, a bit of the financing and had to keep changing. Like, yeah, so the, it was shot on a stage. The exterior of uh, Yonder is shot on a stage with the front of three houses. Um, and you have to reuse that by flipping the background. Every time we did a reverse, we'd have to change the lighting, shoot in that way, and shoot plates to extend it. And uh, yeah, it was like a really complicated puzzle. But it wasn't supposed. <laughs> it wasn't supposed to be that difficult. Did we were supposed to have like twelve and all this stuff, and uh, you know, uh, roofs actually built, and but we had to add them on as matte paintings and stuff. So I mean, it's obviously super crucial to the in the entire aesthetic of the film. Mm. Is this? the place where they inhabit yeah. so in terms of like your you, your background i'm just curious like were you were you because when uh, on my film we had like visual stuff that we didn't really have um experts on, yeah, on yeah, hand yeah, 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 that yeah. we sort of just struggled with but i was wondering your background were you yeah, did you have an idea i know a bit about that stuff and i did some shots myself on this film um and i've uh, friends who work in in vfx and uh, because they come from animation, I kind of knew, <coughs> like I know technically how to do the stuff, but I um, can't obviously do it all myself because I'd still be in post until I'm like about 80 or something. Yeah. Um, but we had a VFX supervisor who's pretty good. He was uh, he does all the stuff for Lars von Trier, Danish guy, and he's used to working in a kind of old school way of getting stuff as much as in pos- as possible in camera and shooting plates and all that kind of stuff to reduce the amount of CGI and uh, digital map paints and stuff like that. So in terms of like the the actors, did they, how on board were they with the, what you were going for the f- final vision in terms of what they had to work with in the scenario, like how much it was like, yeah. this is going on? It's weird because the film has a slightly theatrical, you know, it's kind of two-hander. Um, 
and Jesse and Imogen do both do stage stuff. Um, and I remember like they came, we, sh we shot all the exteriors first in Belgium. So like when they arrived, we walked onto the set and it's like really fucking weird looking. <laughs> you know, it was like big, uh, we had big silks hanging from the ceiling and uh, like hundreds of uh, skylights, LED lights above them, sky panels. And um, so it was all lit, like we were still experimenting with the, the look for day, night, dusk kind of a weirdy greeny yeah. color for um some scenes um so like all the lights were pre-programmed so like there's a guy who's still learning how to use the equipment <laughs> who's like pressing all these buttons and all the lights kept changing the whole room kept changing color with but like the houses and their exterior and so they were like this is awesome <laughs> <laughs> so so there um i don't know if everyone knows but um uh jesse eisenberg and imogen poots are also in um the art of self-defense yeah. but they've actually they also worked together on a on another project. How like great was it to have a two actors that had this uh, chemi chemistry yeah, coming on to the project? It was super, but it was also a, yeah. So like I Imogen came on board first, and she um, and I hung out a bit, and we talked about the film, and we had lunch, and we were talking about who um, we'd get to play the guy. Um, so we had lists, and we were going through names, and then she suggested Jesse, and I was like, God, Jesse Eisenberg. Yeah, I mean that would be. Yeah, that would actually really work. And I was thinking about it, and then um, I called the producers and stuff and, and sales companies. You have to kind of clear all this stuff. And they were like, yeah, if you can get Jesse, that would be amazing. Um, so then I said to her, okay, let's do it. And she was like, okay. And she just like forwarded the script to him on her phone. Right. And then like he read it like within two days. He was like, yeah, this is amazing. Let's meet <laughs> up. So I went to New York and met him. Lucky so I kind of knew that they knew each other already. And then when we got to set, like the two of them were just having a laugh like all the time. Um, she does this kind of Australian character <laughs> when she's like, between takes. She was just like messing. And uh, and he's really funny as well. So like, although the film's pretty pretty grim <laughs> towards the end anyway, uh, they had great fun and the chemistry was already there. So in terms of getting like, so Imogen came on first, do you want to go through like, was it the standard process of, Approaching her, or did you? Did she read the whole script, and then you did the Skype no, call? No, we actually met. Uh, her her agent had the script was sort of, you know, kind of floating around Hollywood uh, beforehand, you know. And uh, uh, Mackenzie Davis was originally attached to play um, play her character, and then she went off and did Terminator Six instead. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, so then it, it completely changed everything. It was like, okay, now that she's, like she's like about six foot. So it was like, you know, couldn't have a small guy with her, it would look weird and all that kind of stuff. So suddenly it opened it all up again and um, it made it much easier. And Imogen's agent had read the script and uh, really liked it. And she had read it before I'd uh, met her. So we actually met first to see if we both liked each other. Um, it was like a weird date. But actually, we ended up not even talking about the movie. We talked about like art and uh, photography and movies and stuff for like ages before. Um, and then we we're like, oh, shit, we better, <laughs> we better talk about the film. Um, so did yeah. you, when you you were like wanted her, I mean, in terms of like her work prior to it, what was, yeah, was there anything I you mean thought I like? The first time I saw her was 28 weeks later. And I remember thinking, she's really interesting. And she's a really good actor. And then I watched 
I'm just neurotic. I just watch everything. I do that with actresses. Watch every single thing that they're in, just to be sure. Um, what if they're in a real turkey amongst all the the gems? I mean, do you? I mean, what are you? Well, no, I didn't watch Fast and the Furious Five or whatever <laughs> she was in. I could guess that was gonna be shit, but um. Uh, but was Eisenberg the type of character initially, in, like when you were writing? Well, the he script? was just I mean a guy. He just had to be kind of uh, just a regular dude, you know, because it was kind of important for the story for them to be just a regular couple. They w- didn't have to be extreme; just had to be relatable, normal. Yeah. So uh, that's what he liked. That's the what attracted him to the to the story, because um, he doesn't get to play those kind of roles. But also, he's not obsessed with being the leading man. He can see the overall scheme of things and that it's an interesting film and uh, exploring interesting things to him so when uh, so Lorcan mentioned it uh, early on is like when I met him for the first time we were both working in Ireland <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> on um, <laughs> on our films and he um, <laughs> a- and lo- you, you look like you're in a, a quite a weird place Stressful. and stressed stressed out yeah. do you want to explain what was um, why you uh, why you appeared so stressed um, uh, yeah, like we'd made the we'd, we'd I thought we had enough to do the all the visual effects for the film and we hadn't so like it, it was a very tricky movie where um, it's not like you can do your edit and you're happy with the edit and then you're like okay great let's just do all the VFX posts and music and everything out. it was like you do the edit and then the cut goes off to the VFX companies to bid and break down every single shot and then they say oh you're like 600 grand over and you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> so uh, you go back, recut the whole thing, thinking, okay, we've got rid of loads of shots now. It's got to be good. And they're like, no, you're still way over. And it's like, oh, fuck. So we um, have to just keep doing that um, over and over and over again. Um, and there was a sequence that was kind of floating around that we'd shot. We'd spent like about four days shooting um, that I didn't really like anyway. And um, but everyone, because it was in the script, people were kind of obsessed about it, thinking that we had to have it. And um, can you describe what that is, or is no, no, (laughs) (laughs) it's a secret. (laughs) Um, Just but it it showed more of what was going on underground and all that kind of stuff. And um, but it it kind of, but the movie kind of. You know the way, like when you're working on a film, it kind of uh, forms itself as you're making it. It kind of tells you what it is. Um, so while we're, you know, when we're editing and kind of sculpting the thing and polishing it, and it, it kind of took form as something uh, that was really interesting to me. It was quite. Um, there was sort of an existential dread around the whole place just being this kind of closed circuit and never really knowing what's beyond that because you can project yourself what you'd imagine would probably be better than what we shot. Yeah. So um, that was how we got out of the mess. Uh, cut that uh, sequence. Cut some other little bits here and there, and then we were okay. Um, and then we <laughs> our, uh, our French distributor uh, saw the cut. Everyone else was happy with it. Everyone else thought it was great. And our French distributor was like, oh, where is that little bit with the blah, blah, blah? And it was like, oh shit, he's <laughs> he's gonna want it back in, and there was a big kind of kerfuffle about that. But then um, I spoke to him, and he said, okay, 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 because this was when we were about to submit to Cannes. He he was like, I'm not submitting because this sequence is missing. And then he, uh, I s- I spoke to him and I explained the reasonings why I thought it was better to take it out. 
and he agreed then and he submitted and then we got in so it was just like <sighs> everything went away and we could finish the film at last because we were in post for a long time so when you have a lot of um investors in multiple countries involved and there's a lot of people producers and mm. everyone's everyone's looking over your shoulder and applying the pressure notes that that whole that whole game yeah. um in terms of like did you feel like you were kind of secure because you had such a linear tight story in a way that there was no room for the, for to jump the narrative elsewhere to take a breathing room because you were kind of like very focused there wasn't anywhere no one could suggest what do you think yeah, about Yeah, what about like uh, having a beach scene or something? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, it was <laughs> we only had what we had. It is yeah. the script, right? So there was, yeah. yeah. No, it was still the exact same story. Nothing really changed. I mean, like in different versions of the draft as well, it was always the same story, but we dropped different people in. So like different couples. And earlier on, they were more extreme. You know, some of them had like, you know, all this stupid stuff that was wasn't good. Oh, so there were other couples that we... No, it was in like a, a version of the script right. with, with a different couple trapped there. Um, we kind of ran tests <laughs> with different... And but tonally, in terms of the edit, did it, uh, did it change? I mean, was it, did, it, um, did it get darker earlier? Did it get like... The, in terms of like where the tone went, was it exactly how you envisioned the film or did it change? Yeah, I mean, weirdly... Um, I always found the, the start funny in the script um, with the estate agent. Like, funny, weird, you know? Um, and then it kind of gets um, darker and kind of a little bit sad and a little bit scary or whatever. Um, that, was that was always kind of the case, um, which I felt like it kind of needed a surreal levity to get you in there um, because it's a weird place. You know, if it, if it was all too... Serious, you might not accept the strange environment. So, I'm curious because Khan is such a big play for the film when it yeah. when it came in and when it got accepted. Like for you, how confident were you before anyone had seen it? Before Khan said, "Come on, we love it. Come into." Um, what What was your gut call? I thought it was good, you know. But I mean, I, like we were talking about films during this. We were talking about other movies, and like we, you know, I like loads of weird films, so. Uh, <laughs> I liked it, you know. <laughs> I liked it, and the writer liked it. Uh, Garrett and uh, Brunella, my wife, liked it, most importantly. So, um, so Who also works in the biz, right? Yeah, she was yeah. an exact producer on this. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and she, d she was part of the development and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, I mean, we all liked it because we're, we're into those kind of films. So I was happy with how it, it wasn't a disaster. So no, obviously not. <laughs> um, so, yeah. We should um, we could throw it out some questions out to the audience to get some very smart questions from this yep. super bright crowd. If anyone's got a question, put your hand up and we'll get a, a mic to you. There's one right there. Q, right there. Thank you. Yeah, very uh, reminiscence of the Twilight Zone and yeah. Moon. Right. Um, was there any significance to the uh, silver Volkswagen Golf, um, or was it just randomly chosen? The, sorry, the what? The Golf, the car, the Volkswagen Golf. Oh, right. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> um, uh, we tried loads of different cars, uh, tight, <laughs> tight budget, and uh, I wanted, uh, actually originally I wanted a kind of uh, boxy sort of 80s car, but um, 
then as the as the kind of production design started tightening up and we knew exactly what the the houses were going to look like wanted something very simple then you know a kind of gray simple this is a car Oonk. type car um and that's why the the golf uh ended up there what yeah and the palette for the town for the yeah. um yonder was that exact was that did that change or was that always no that was yeah i did a like i made a a full CG test of driving through that environment uh, early on with some development money from Film 4, uh, which was really helpful because um, I was able to cha like change. I kind of you know went through a bunch of hues um, trying to find a color. It was always going to be something that made people look kind of pasty and sick and gross, like that kind of... Like green is a funny one because it, it has a two... You know, the, the kind of greens of pastures kind of give you the feeling of uh, nature and things being alive, and it's great. And then if you slightly twist that, um, it has a kind of toxic poison <laughs> feel uh, or institutional, like a hospital green. Like a sick green, yeah. Yeah, and it kind of gives people a horrible uh, skin tone, um, so that's why that was picked. Cool. There's one right in front of you. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I love the film. One thing I noticed, there was a couple of details that were quite subtle, like when the, they get the box of the kid and it says, just catch it, uh, raise the kid to be released or something. Yeah. Or when he gets to the bottom of the hole, you don't really know what he found, but then you realize later it's a, you know, another one of these body bags, I think. Yeah. Uh, w was that something where you shot it and, and much more like blatant options and then you ended up cutting them down or were you kind of just happy to be pretty... Um, no, yeah, it was always the case. I think maybe the body bag uh, might have appeared, like the body bag at the bottom of the hole may have appeared slightly earlier um, in the script, and then we ended up pushing it back a little bit just before the kind of um, the third, sort of yeah, towards halfway through the third act. Um, yeah, no, those things were, were there. We didn't have, like, it wasn't a luxury of, like, oh, let's shoot this and let's shoot that. It was like, we have, like, 10 minutes to shoot this scene <laughs> and then move on. Um, so, yeah, um, yeah, it's one of those ones where we actually, I think at one stage I thought about, um, and we tried this in the edit, making him finding the body bag part of a nightmare that he was having because he was so feverish and sick. But um, because the place is such a kind of, is like a dream in the first place, it's like a dream within a dream, didn't, didn't feel right. So we made it more realistic within the strange environment. How tight were you with the actors in terms of like sticking to the script? I mean, did they bring anything? Yeah, they yeah totally yeah yeah. Um, well, actually, Jesse had um, they're totally they act in two totally different styles. So Jesse's a playwright as well. So like when he read the script, um, there was probably more exposition, and he was like, eh, "Get rid of all the exposition. It's it's like a fever dream." And I was like, "Yeah, well, I was probably going to do that in the edit anyway, because uh, you know a lot of the time." You cut out dialogue, yeah. you know, you just get rid of it because you don't need it because it turns into a visual medium. So um, we did that. We did uh, a pass on the draft for him. And Imogen had a few ideas as well, uh, like howling at the sun um, when after the picnic scene um, and a few other things. And then obviously with dialogue and stuff like that, they, you know, we just messed around until we found what felt right, you know, but it was more or less the same. There wasn't anything too different. No monologues written on... No, <laughs> no, luckily, no. Any other? Right down the front. 
Um, w was the, the the pile of dirt he's dug up? Yeah. Um, which was actually pretty small for a hole yeah. that's that big. <laughs> yeah. But was that? I'm just a nerd question. Was that on purpose for humoristic um, avant sense or? Was it budget? <laughs> no, I knew, like, you know, I didn't think it mattered that much, to be honest, because everything else is so, like, the clouds are like candy floss, and the whole thing becomes a kind of, uh, it has a surreal uh, nature. Um, so, thing, like, it's more representative of a big pile of dirt. Do you know what I mean? I didn't think it had to be, like, exactly kind of accurate to the dimensions of the hole and the volume of dirt that you're <laughs> digging and all that kind of stuff. Um, and it was also practicality, um, because it was a, s a stage. Um, the whole continuity was a whole thing in itself. <laughs> there was like, yeah, because we weren't shooting in sequence, it was like, oh, this is the scene where, the, oh, well, okay, the hole should be this big and that, that big and all that kind of stuff. Just, I just, suddenly, I don't know why I jumped into this, but they don't, neither of them have kids, right? No. No, they don't, okay. Oh, no, sorry, Jesse does. Jesse does? Yeah, 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 he's got a kid, yeah. Cool. Um, Recent? Recent, yeah. He's only about like uh, four or something. Okay. Yeah. Don't know why. Just yeah. curious. Um, not to show the baby's rapid growth right at the start. They just, they're aware already that he's fully growing when they pull the fingers at him in the bedroom. Yeah. I mean, we were trying to. <laughs> It was such a, you, you know, it's 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 a kind of overarching thing of like life and desire, you know, all that kind of stuff. So um, to me, it was like life in three acts. There was like youth, middle age, and old age. So the fi the the script was always very much like curtains close, curtains open again. You know, time has passed. You know, help, fuck you, as the sort of <laughs> and the opening with words. So. Um, yeah, it was always it was always the plan to just jump ahead and people. Yeah, some people can't handle that, um, not knowing what happened in between and wanting to know all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, we just put in the hit that he grows at the speed of a dog to um, kind of explain his growth spurt. You know, but they they just have the state agent breed have a uh, they just grow faster than people. They're like a, a brood parasite and. Uh, that's that's how they roll. Um, amazing child actor, like uh, yeah, yeah, incredible. Sam. But uh, and just his um, his face and everything. It looked like um, he looked like a weird, like a crazy ventriloquist. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 Like yeah, yeah. Um, how long did it take you to find find him? Uh, weirdly, he was the first uh, tape that came in, and we kept on look seeing more people. And um, but his tape, like he even did the, you know, he goes down and goes. <laughs> And as he rolled back his eyes and everything, I was like, "Holy shit!" Because <laughs> <laughs> like most, he's only seven. Yeah. And mo and he like re he knew the whole script. He knew what it was about. Um, it was just so weird because like nearly everybody else was just like a normal child, all shy <laughs> and just, you know, um, yeah. So like uh, he even when you know uh, coming before we were shooting, he was his mum was telling me he was. Uh, you know, if they were going shopping in a supermarket, he'd watch people and start copying them and being all creepy. Wow. Yeah, getting, he was totally method. Are yeah. they, are they uh, were they actors as well, the parents? No. No. No, they were just like, I don't know what's wrong with them. <laughs> 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 yeah, he was great. He was, he was so cool uh, yeah. to have around. He's like so hyper. 
Uh, but he knew his lines, you know, and he knew uh, like more, more than the other two, you know. Kids and animals, so you got them both in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, any other questions before we uh, wrap up the night? Yeah, just um, on the note of the child actor, how did that work with doing the, the voice dubbing and the distortion that you ended up using for him? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, interestingly, the, he was always supposed to sound weird. That was always the intention. And originally, like, I did want him to be able to do, like, a perfect impersonation of Imogen and Jesse, um, which among his many skills, that wasn't one of them. Um, but while we got into cutting it, um, I always knew I was going to do something in post-sound. Then we had this idea of um, to tie him in with the estate agent and the older boy. Um, Jonathan Harris, who plays the very first estate agent, actually did the boy, boy's voice. Um, so he redubbed the kid, mostly. Uh, and some words are the boy's voice, and some are Jonathan's, and it's kind of always shifting and changing, so that he never felt like, because his own voice is a bit cute, um, and made you feel a little bit like, oh, he's only a little kid. So you kind of need to dehumanize him a little bit, and, um, and also get, make him uh, have some continuity, vocal continuity between all the boys. It's very clever. No, oh, thanks. <laughs> It was actually probably the hardest part of post-sound. We spent a lot of time doing the voice. <laughs> one final question, or should we wrap it? Is there one more question in the house? If there is, raise your hand. All right. Hi. Yeah. Yeah, it was weird. We were talking about that. Um, one of them was Teshi Gara's Woman in the Dunes. I don't know if anyone's seen that, but it's really good. Just check it out. Um, uh, Quiet, the Quiet Earth, which I mentioned. Um, Todd Haynes' Safe. Um, and Roy Anderson, a little bit, like The Pigeon Sat in a Branch or uh, Songs from the Second Floor, in that kind of... Um, well, that was probably more for production design because he shoots, like he builds all the sets, the exteriors, and lights them with sort of uh, artificial light. Um, and then it was and then there was a lot of influence on like just uh, art, more photography, um, Gursky and uh, Crudson and uh, Oliver Ellison. Uh, is like a light artist uh, who did the, the weather project and the taste, you know, with a big fake sun. Um, people like that. All right, I'm going to wrap it up with one um, traditional cliche Q and A question. Yeah. Which is, uh, what are you up to next? Uh, uh, yeah, I was just I came here from the Philippines. Um, I'm working on a film called Nocebo. It's like a supernatural revenge thriller, um, which is sort of about exploitation of the. East by the West and uh, fast fashion. And um, yeah, <coughs> there's a character in it who's a, a Filipino. Um, she becomes a, uh, a, a, 
a maid slash nanny, but previous to that she was working in a, in a, a kind of sweatshop in the Philippines. Um, and, but they have this Cebuano uh, witchcraft over there. So all the witches are supposed to come from this island called Sekuhor. So uh, we're over there <laughs> talking to some witches and um, me and the writer. So that, that's probably the next one. There's another film called Goliath that uh, is in its third draft. And that's uh, more in the line of Varium, actually, but it's, a, it's, about, um, it's about war, starting war, start creating monsters to start wars and uh, steal natural resources. But it's like a fable. Awesome. They sound big, bigger projects. Uh, yep. Yep. <laughs> all <laughs> right. And upwards. <laughs> I want to absolutely. I want to uh, thank Lorcan so much for coming all the way down to New Zealand to share his film Vivarium. Yeah. Thanks for coming. Thanks for sticking around. And thank you all for coming to the Hollywood. Yeah. Thanks, guys. <laughs>